Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini, represented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Dieter Kurtenbach is here. We are going to talk, I don't know, for like 45 minutes about Liverpool. Like, let's yeah. just like have the Liverpool that podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, no, we're going to talk about people deciding to attack him over bad tweeting. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk sure. about Rockets Warriors, obviously, because now that series is good, uh, has decided to be very interesting. We're going to talk oh, about yeah. Milwaukee turning back into Milwaukee, uh, Kawhi being incredible, Nikola Jokic being incredible. Uh, we're just going to have fun at this point. Like we're, it, what a concept. I don't, I don't even know that like there is a crazy amount of analysis to be had. Not really. I mean, not that I would be bringing it, but it, it's... It's kind of, it's the most predictable outcomes so long as you don't overthink things, right? Yeah, like it's just like a fun, it's a fun slate of games to me. Like we're seeing standout performances from the guys that, you know, we were hoping to see standout performances from and we just save for one, save for one, (laughs) and one Wardell Stephen Curry. (laughs) Now we just need to see who is going to be the Divock Origi out of all of this series and step up oh in the God. clutch whenever a team like Liverpool needs it. What were your hopes like yesterday going into this? So for people who don't know, I'm like yeah. a, I, I would call myself realistically like a lapsed Liverpool fan because yeah. I have 97 things going on in my life. I'm getting married. I mm-hmm. am trying to cover four different levels of basketball. I am trying to watch Australian football. I'm trying to watch <laughs> hockey. Like there's just a lot. Plus I also like live in Hollywood and know a ton of people who work in the entertainment industry. Oh, and I try very, and keep up. very interesting. Humble brag. I try and keep up with that side of things because right. like that's literally what my you watch degree a shit is ton in. of movies. Right. So like at some point uh, things have to fall off, but like, I've yeah. watched four or five Liverpool games this year. I really enjoy watching Liverpool. I would not say that like I am some sort of like crazy fan. Like, you know, like Rob Doster, for instance, watches every Tottenham game because yeah. he's a huge fan. Like Dieter, you watch a lot of Liverpool games. Correct? Yeah, I watched about 90 to 95% of them. Yeah. Right. So I am doing this from a perspective that is more of like a lay fan. Like I'll just, be real about that. I am not yeah, someone no. that like is, you know, wild about this. But still, I watched the game yesterday, like sat down, made a point to like just enjoy the game. And oh boy, that was a <laughs> That was an <laughs> that interesting was not that was, what I was expecting. Yeah, that's an interesting thought that you're like I'm just going to sit down and enjoy this game in in a two-legged, you know, aggregate semifinal that I think we all pretty much agreed, at least those who are constantly engaging on Liverpool stuff like that was over after Messi's third goal. It was like done. Um, but but it, you know what though? It was a situation where it felt well, you also like have, yeah. there was no like there was no downside to this. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. And and so, but with Salah out and big game Bobby Firmino out and um, who else? Somebody was out from the midfield. Uh, Naby Keita was out in the midfield. Like there, there, this team was banged up um, and. You just didn't really know. And then, you know, Andy Robertson goes out and you're like, okay, it's one nothing. You have to score four because of the away goal rule. You can't give up any. Like, th- this was threading the needle. But I agree with your assessment. Like, they had nothing to lose. And I do think that Man City coming through against Leicester earlier in the week, a couple of days before it, um, 
or was that the day before it? Jeez. Uh, it was the day before, yeah. Yeah, it all blurs together. But uh, the day before, like, Liverpool's probably not going to win the league. That's a very fair statement. Like, they, they should. Yeah, like, they, they need they the Man City. Yeah, they need Man City to drop points to Brighton. It's just, like, it's just not something you can expect to happen. So I, I do think that they played with a bit more of a devil-may-care attitude just about like, listen, we better, I mean, we better give it our best shot. I think uh, Klopp said something like, if we're going to lose, do it in the most glorious of fashions. And uh, they just went out. And and it's a credit to kind of the, the strange spirituality of sports and a connection between a building and a, a team and a fan base. Uh, they, they just played their asses off for like 70, 80 minutes. And then they defended like hell for the final 15. And it was it was just absolutely insane. And, and Barcelona got completely rattled. And it's so funny to think about that game because obviously it was just, I mean, what an enjoyable experience that was. But also, you know, completely nerve-wracking at the end. I was just, I was losing my mind about it. Um, but you think back to the first leg of that, of that semifinal and Barcelona had a sitter in the final minute yep. of extra time. And I can't remember who it was. They just kicked it right to Allison, the Liverpool goalie, and it would have been four nothing. And like that would have, I mean, there's obviously a hundred different points that you could say this could have decided it. But um, I, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was just insane. I don't think that Barcelona is maybe as good as their reputation gives them, but the Liverpool was able to lock up Messi uh, pretty much the entire game. He was just wandering around, completely lost. Um, they were absolutely fantastic on the wings. Fabinho was insane in the midfield, just absolutely insane. Uh, I, I thought Jordan Henderson was fantastic. He's been so good as of late. Like Liverpool, I mean, they're they're my team. That's the only team I really give a shit about. Um, it was they keep doing shit like this though. Like they do something like this seemingly every year. They they did did it with Borussia Dortmund, I think, last year in the Champions League. Like. It was. It's just awesome. I mean, and the miracle in Istanbul is like the crowning yeah, achievement, right? That was that was like year two of my Liverpool fanaticism, if you will. And uh, obviously, you're you're completely hooked after that. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was just it was just totally insane. It was a great match, and I and I I, I wish that I would have had higher hopes going into it. But my thought was they were just going to go balls to the wall and try to score five, but they'd probably give up two or three in the process, and it'd be a really fun game with no actual stakes because once Barcelona scored once it would, would have been over. Uh, and instead it was just, just 90 minutes of the, the, the best that they can play. And I think, you know, uh, if you're a casual fan and you're not really sure, and I'm not like trying to say like my team or whatever, but like if you're a casual fan, I can totally understand how you would fall for Liverpool. This is how they played when I first started watching them. And uh, maybe not to this extent, but they were certainly a more aggressive team than most in the Premier League when I started watching them. And for the, kind of the roller coaster to go through, you know, the Rafa Benitez era in which they played just a really strong, almost like a, a quasi tiki taka game. And then all the lulls with Hodgson and, and the ups with Brendan Rodgers when the pressing was, was in and then the downs again. Is, and I wanted Klopp for a year and a half before he actually came and, and it's all coming together in such an incredible way. I hope I city city can manage to not win the title this year. Like I hope that Brighton comes through and I I'm, I'm looking into ways to get the best Liverpool players onto Brighton because apparently they don't need, <laughs> they don't need their best players to beat Barcelona. So we can, we can spread the love a little bit. Oh my, it was just amazing. Like everything about it was incredible. Uh, like they start Jordan Shakiri 
Like, I can't remember. Like, I don't know. Like I said, yeah. like, I've watched five games, but like any game I've watched, like he hasn't started and I know he's mostly coming off the bench and he sets up the third goal. And like, uh, I mean, like when y'all don't like, you listen, yeah, like you, you listen to what he said after the game. He was like, yeah, I was pissed whenever I wasn't chosen. To be in the oh line. yeah yeah you're talking about Gigi yeah or Genie uh, and he was he was incredible I should have mentioned him earlier like and he's been so good and it's it's a testament you know listen Liverpool isn't some scrappy you know up and coming team like they spend a shit ton of money they have the most expensive central defender in the world uh, they most you know expensive goalkeeper right like it, it's not as if we're some scrappy underdogs but compared to City like yeah and maybe compared to Barcelona yeah and. Uh, you, you also have to then take into account like the development they have, you know, Trent Alexander Arnold, who's a 19 year old kid who grew up in Liverpool as their right back in that game. Uh, they got Milner on free transfer. They got Fabinho on free transfer. Uh, they're playing Divac Origi, who they've, you know, developed. Uh, I know it wasn't his first club, but they've developed him since he was a youngster and they didn't sell him. Uh, you go out and you get the cube on like nine mil. A nine mil transfer from Stoke because they were getting sent down. Like they've done so many parts of that Liverpool team are not these big money signings, right? Like Joel Matip, who started at center back next to the most expensive and worth it every penny center back in the world in Virgil van Dyke. Like Joel Matip came on a free transfer. Like there's so much in, in the development of, you know, Henderson into this guy after you probably could have tossed him out the development of Nabi Keita who, who's come through here uh, before injury in the final weeks of the season and really given Liverpool a boost um, you just you just look at I mean they hold on to Daniel Sturridge and he's able to hold on to the ball and, and get a tackle there like there's so many positive things that you can look at it's not just some over you know oligarchy and collection of a super team that they've put together this is a, a, a excellent mix between smart business big money and just incredible coaching and tactics that are bearing out every day more and more fruit. And we all know that success in big money soccer is, is extremely fleeting. So I, I, I'm trying to savor all of these incredible moments because we thought that Liverpool fans thought that we had something really good when Brendan Rodgers was the manager and they, they almost won the league that year and it, it all fell apart really fast. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you're looking for a team, if you want to get on the bandwagon, do it now because uh, it's going to be chock full here pretty soon, I bet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Allison last night or yesterday was just incredible. Like he yeah. made three or four just massive saves, like just massive, massive saves. And like you said, like Virgil is like by far worth it in every single way. Uh, having him and Matip together in the middle, it just makes life so much easier uh, for, sure. for Allison. They're actually like so good at uh, starting the break as well. And Van Dyke's such a aerial weapon. I thought he had a goal on that yeah. like back heel kick that Ter Stegen just like made a miracle save on. Um, and then James Milner goes to play left back. He's done that a lot. He's done that a lot this year. And he's really good at it. James, again, like James he's Milner good. said he could have kept him. Oh my God. Like James Milner at 33 years old playing left back. That's my favorite thing in the world. It's so good. It's the best. Listen, oh. it's, it's it, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm we over even, the moon. We didn't even get to the corner from Trent Alexander Arnold. What a, oh, what a, moment. well, I lost all my clothes in the process. I like, corner. so it's hilarious. So Laura was, uh, working from home yesterday and had a work call and I, yeah, that did not go well for her. <laughs> Yeah, so the second goal happens, and I was just like, I like yelled, like 
screamed and she was like i'm on the phone and i was like sorry i'm watching liverpool i can't really do anything about this and then like the third and fourth goals i couldn't actually say anything i had to just like jump up and down in place in my living room while watching the game um just unbelievable i'm so excited this yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where how how the hell do they win and sadio mane doesn't even score Sadio Mane was a beast in that game though he was he was incredible but without salah without firmino sadio mane doesn't score and they still win 4-0 i mean listen i've done a, a full 360 on sadio mane this year because obviously he, he's this incredible talent but I, I thought that he was playing really selfishly about the first third maybe even half of the season and i don't know what clicked and i still think he ends up at like real madrid at the in the summer but um like something clicked and he just turned into sort of this utilitarian left wing and uh it's really spectacular to watch, and it, it, he deserves way more credit than he gets because he does. A, I mean, he he must have run. I don't even know what the the right number is, but he had to run more than anyone on the pitch in that game. I mean, he was back with the defense on almost every single Barcelona possession, and then he was the one bombing down the flank. It was, and I I, I thought with about sixty five minutes left, like he's completely gassed. Like mm-hmm. there was no there was no way that he was going to continue, and yet he just kept going. I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent or anything, but he just really never he never completely emptied out. And yeah. um, it was it, that yeah, it was a spellbinding performance. And, and in the back of my head, whenever I watch that, I just go like, just remember how good this was when he's definitely sold this summer for you know a preposterous amount of money, and the net spend comes in okay. Yeah, no, I'm incredibly incredibly excited by all of this. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the team that you cover, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, you decided to get the Houston Rockets fans angry at you. Please explain to me. Please explain to me what you did last night at one 30 in the morning Pacific time. Yeah. So I think we can all presume, uh, that this was not my, my finest. Actually, you know what? Fuck it. I I have no problem with this tweet and I'm not deleting it. Um, (laughs) I, I, because I, I cover the NBA, we talk about the NBA, and the, the NBA is nothing more than a reality TV show that we talk about in, in very serious tones, uh, was looking at some of the articles that have been out from people who cover the, the ratings, the TV ratings of the league. And I was thinking about Milwaukee and Toronto being the very, very likely Eastern Conference Finals matchup. And from a basketball standpoint, obviously, I think we're all ecstatic because that is Kawhi versus Giannis and, and two, I think, really well-coached teams. Uh, one of them absolutely deserves to go to the finals. We're going to get the best out of the Eastern Conference. Not that we wouldn't if it, it switched out, but uh, you know, these were the two teams, one and two, that I think we can all agree were the best for the entire year, and uh, they, they deserve to be in this spot. People are not going to watch that. We're going to watch it because we're basketball nerds, and we love this stuff. And I think even a, a light, casual fan will watch it. People, like general people, People who watch Netflix every night, people who, you know, are, are, are binge friends, like normal people are not going to watch Raptors Bucks straight up. I, I think that they should, but they're not going to do it. And the ratings bear that out. Giannis is not a poll. Kawhi is sure as shit not a poll. And uh, Milwaukee and Toronto. Toronto is an actually worse market for the NBA in regards to ratings than Milwaukee because they are on Canadian TV. So the U.S., they get none of that residual value in the u.s where they have a 24 billion dollar tv deal whereas milwaukee is a small market and more or less a suburb of chicago i'm not gonna if i offend people by saying that feel free but there's chicago suburbs now cross the uh wisconsin border here 
so they're screwed in the Eastern Conference. And then I'm looking at the ratings for what's going on in the Western Conference. And you look at Portland and you look at Denver. Denver can barely get ratings in its own market. And Portland is not a very big market. And, and while I love Dame, uh, I, I have a very hard time seeing him single-handedly carrying a series. Houston does not draw as much as Houston should draw. I don't know what that's about. Perhaps it's their style of basketball. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's a massive market that doesn't pull like a massive market. You go down the line, the only team that is getting consistently better ratings year over year is the Golden State Warriors. And that's because the Golden State Warriors are the known entity. And the big problem for the NBA coming into this playoffs was that they didn't have LeBron. They would have LeBron on one side, the Warriors on the other, and everyone knows the characters in this reality TV show. The Warriors look poised to get their butts kicked over the next two or three games. Uh, they are injured. I do not think that their heads are on straight. Uh, I picked the Rockets in seven in, in a couple of different places. I'm feeling very good about that prediction right now. The NBA should not be feeling good about that prediction because if it is Rockets and either team uh, from the other side of the, the bracket in the Western Conference, they are also going to get their asses kicked with ratings. And if it's Houston-Milwaukee in the NBA Finals, people will not watch. And the NBA is a business, and it's a business who's built on getting people to watch them on television. So my joke, and I've been going in on Adam Silver for basically not doing anything for a while now. Um, and so my, my I, I kind of put the two together, which is essentially the Warriors are the only team that's drawing any ratings. Everyone else is down big time. Uh, the NBA is looking at a situation where they could be getting absolutely ass kicked when it comes to TV ratings. If I was in the position of NBA commissioner, I would fix the series so that the Warriors advance and the league survives. But that would require Adam Silver to do something, which we all know he won't do. And yet Houston fans felt the need to project uh, some sort of like, I want the Warriors to win. Like, I don't care. Like, I cover the Sharks or I go to Cabo. Like, doesn't matter to me. Uh, so... And I, I picked the Rockets in many places. So it's not as if this is like insulting my intelligence that the Houston Rockets can win. Uh, the dynasty ends either way for the Warriors. And I have to figure out more things to write about aside from the Warriors. But the, the whole thing has just been hilarious to watch kind of unfold because I'm just getting absolutely obliterated on the ratios. And uh, it's all, you know, Houston shock jocks or whatever because they have 42 sports talk radio stations that all get a 0.1 rating. And uh, everyone's just like, wow. You know, and it, this is a Rorschach test for everybody who thinks that the referees can actually rig a series. Um, and there's a Hanlon's razor argument there. Uh, and then. Uh, it, it's it's also a Rorschach test for everybody outside of the Bay Area to just do the whole Bay Area's elitist thing because, well, that's easy. It's easy fodder. So it's been really enjoyable to watch people try to tweet through this. And, oh, uh, man. You've got a, you've got, on this first initial one, uh, you've got a solid 134, 18, 50 ratio going right here. Pretty good. Uh, what that's, is that? That's, that's, a, how many, that's 118 RBIs. Um, what's the. No, it's 134 uh, batting average, 18 mm. home runs, 50 RBIs. You got a... That's a solid Joey Gallo last year. My my initial reaction was like, over the hill, Dan Ugla. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, yeah, a guy who, who only platoons against righties. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm that's looking like, for. That's like career pinch hitter numbers. Yeah, Dieter has got a solid over the hill Dan Ugla ratio going right here, and I am. I've very seen a lot of over the it. hill Dan Ugla games, so I uh, I know all about these. Uh, the oh. Dan Ugla second Marlins stint, it was a joy. Hey, shout out to the Dan Ugla first Marlins stint, though. 
That was a beast. That was a fun time. Stero- steroids are awesome. They're really good. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but they can really help you out in baseball. Let's. Uh, the whole thing let's, is hilarious. Yeah. You, I mean, uh, okay. How about this? How about this? I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to drag me on this tweet too. You, I think that you made Alexa go off with your fiery takes. It's exactly what it sounds like. And uh, again, I'm apparently just uh, the whistle is going off for everybody to come out with their their grievances, apparently, including Alexa. Um, Is this not an issue? Am I am I completely overstating the NBA's ratings apocalypse? Should the Warriors not advance? Um, Or do you just not give a shit, which is a totally so assessment, by the way. So this is an interesting conversation for me because like I worked at Nielsen for a year and like TV ratings are definitely one of those random like Hollywood things that I very much do still look at. I don't really think though that from a business perspective, it would be the worst thing in the world for like a Milwaukee Houston or even a Milwaukee Denver title. Because like you said, the Warriors are like, this is the last run for the Warriors, right? Absolutely. So you might as well build up a new character in the process. Yeah. All of these TV deals are signed now for a while. Yeah. But I do think that First off, there's the relationship between the league partners. Like, you just can't have these kind of outliers, right? Um, especially if this now is the start of a trend. You're, right. You're, so, so all. But here's here's the thing. I, what I'm going to say is, I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be the start of a trend. Um, that's right. So, either do I. All of these TV deals are signed long term. Networks. My guess are. My guess is that they have already sold the ads for the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is. Not something that I know for a fact. I think I can feel pretty good. Uh, The problem is that buybacks. Well, yeah, like you're you're gonna have to get buybacks. You're gonna have to get make goods on like network potent on like uh you know missed ratings and everything. But at the end of the day, this is the last run for the Warriors, so you might as well introduce new characters anyway. Yeah, you would like to have the bump that you get from this. run with the warriors right like you would like to have that bump for if if it's gonna die you might as well get some money out of it on the way out yeah like whenever down the road this ends up coming up yeah but from a business perspective is that bump that you get from the warriors this year going to be greater than the bump that you could potentially get next year from showcasing a Giannis, showcasing a uh houston rockets showcasing a uh denver nuggets in the finals Mm-hmm. I would need to know more about the past history of uh, the general even... audience getting introduced to new players within right. the marketplace of the NBA. Um, so I, I, I just I, I, I think, think that, you're... that there's a market for it. Well, I, I, I think, think that, that we're past the point of new characters in a, to a certain extent because there's so many options available in the entertainment space. So I think that my hypothesis is that you're probably right, but I don't think that it would be the apocalypse that you think it is. Yeah. Like, I just don't no, think it's a big deal. Well, this year would be, day. I'm saying like this year would be an apocalypse. You're, you're, you're right. No one knows what this means. It could just be a one like, outlier. Like but what like, the long-term effects are. Like, I just don't really know that the long-term effects are going to be so substantial as to where Adam Silver needs to get involved. Mm, mm, that's fair. I think that first off, uh, 
it's all micro in this sense. And if you have not just a Western, not not just an Eastern and a Western Conference Finals that aren't rating, but then also an NBA Finals, uh, you're going to have a lot of chirping um, because you look at yeah. But like, do we care what Clay Travis says? No, no, no. Like, I'm not talking about that chirping. I'm talking about people like that, who are writing checks, though. going like, "This didn't seem like a great investment this year. We're going to need some kickbacks, and we're going to need you to get you know." take some of those ESPN ads that we bought and we're going to need you to move them to an ABC primetime show. And now everybody's involved. Sure. But at the end of the day, I like, I don't think that you're going to have like wild make goods. No, 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 no. On a Denver Milwaukee finals. If Mm. only because like these, like the networks and advertisers tend to have very strong relationships. Like, right. and that's maybe what I'm mostly getting at. I mean, that strong that are, relationship could, but like start movies to get that right. are coming out on Thursdays or movies that come out on Fridays, you're not going to stop advertising on ABC because that's still where the biggest marketplace is. Like, you're still going to have your movies advertised on Thursdays. You're still going to have like, because most people go car shopping on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have, um, like advertisers for car companies advertising on Thursday on mm-hmm. the NBA finals, even though the NBA finals uh, didn't rate that year because it's still the best chance for you to get to a lion's share of an audience. So I, I agree with that assessment, but my point is more to the effect of, okay, that's already bought this year and the kickbacks are one thing, but if you're looking at the ratings and if you are, trying to buy local airtime or if you're trying to buy national airtime and you do not have good enough ratings, you might not give the MBA or ESPN, whatever it is, your money next year. Uh, but like no one, no one really cares about local here. This is all a national conversation just because national is yeah. like, these are nationally televised games, but this nope. is, but this like is a byproduct of the, the, the plunging to, local stuff yeah. too. But like local markets aren't going to advertisers and saying, Hey, look, the NBA finals. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I wasn't, I wasn't alleging were that. Higher My point is like this that. is a trend, at least in the micro that has carried on all year, which is local ratings are down big time almost across the board, including with the Warriors. Uh, even though they still have a very high number, there's a bit of fatigue even in this market. And now you're seeing outside of the Warriors, who are clearly a national brand, and there's an argument to be had about if the strength of a team is more valuable to the NBA than the strength of a player, because the NFL can put out whatever the hell it wants week in and week out, and they'll put out they put out the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they'll still rate because it's a team sport more so than the NBA, which is very much an individual led sport. But the Warriors have this cachet. Um, See, here here's the problem yeah. with all of this. Uh, we still don't really have a great way to gauge uh, right. like online ratings. Like it's that's the true. reason that all of these like media outlets only do the TV ratings, right? Because mm-hmm. the TV ratings are the easiest things to point to. Right. Like just in general, not even if you're trying to make a mar- an argument one way or the other. It's just well, what that- are you talking about when you say online ratings? Because there's there's no money in people tweeting about it. And if you're trying to talk about, we get watch ESPN ratings or whatever people watching on, you know, on the app, like ESPN will put that out in their releases. Yes. But I feel like when it comes directly from ESPN, oh, yeah, people no, yeah, don't take it as seriously. Which, you know, fair, right or wrong, yeah. like, I, I don't know if that's correct, incorrect, whatever. Yeah. Um, and they're only like, going to give out information that looks good for them. So when it's bad, right. or it doesn't live up to expectations, suddenly there's no press release. Right. So That's fair. We haven't been we, seeing a lot of press releases lately, though. 
Just throwing that out there. We don't really see what the app ratings are. We don't really see what the ESPN plus subscribership number is right now. Right. Like, right. I, we, like you, uh, you could throw out a number and I would say sure to whatever the ESPN plus subscriber is. Uh, so we just have all of these factors that we don't know whenever it comes to measuring audience uh, in a rapidly changing marketplace. And yeah. I think that especially with younger people, right. And people that are essentially my age and younger, like, I don't have cable. Um, Like I watch everything online. So like, I think that people are making these statements and don't necessarily have enough information to be making them based off of the information that is publicly available. Right. Yes. Like that's, that's correct. But it's incomplete information. Basically. Right, but from what the but let's just go through the the deeper level of the public the public information that we have. We don't know what the return on investment is when it comes to digital ads and subscriptions when it you know ESPN Plus or whatever. Like we don't know. And, and you look at like a, a product like YouTube TV, which I use, they will run over network ads with their own ads sometimes. And I, I do believe that's in the second part of the commercial break, which is usually a local block, so it's not a big deal, uh, or you know, cable run uh, ads. But uh, it, that's yes, you're right. We don't have all the information when it comes to cord cutting and streaming and all of that. And that is a very, I would imagine, robust, or certainly more robust than in past years. Every year it gets more robust, a robust segment of viewership. But how much? Are they worth monetarily? Is this a situation where YouTube TV or you know Sling or guys just watching it on their phone are you need two or three of those people to match a just I'm sitting on the couch network watcher? I, I don't I don't know what that is, but I, I do know, or at least I'm I'm feel very comfortable in uh, stating that the cord cutting viewer is not as valuable. To, than, than just somebody who's sitting and watching on, you know, Time Warner Cable or whatever the hell they See, call I, it now. I would probably disagree with that because okay. in, in a, if like, they in a, are In an actual age, money sense or in a larger sense? like No, in a, oh. in a larger sense of okay. advertisers want to find a way to get to people who are my age because people mm-hmm. who are my age, uh, you know, somewhere between, let's call it 27 and 35 really right. really people advertisers are looking for people between 18 and 49 but right but even even narrow it down further and they're looking for people who are buying cars buying wedding rings and uh what i mean what else right. <laughs> drinking beer right so in this case and given that the nba uh does tend to have a younger audience in general yes i think that knowing the online presence is actually just basically the entire ball game for this okay that's fair but you're ultimately and, and all of this stuff will come out when the contract ends in 2024 right uh the, something like M- that I, I yeah the nba tv contract yeah it's nine yeah it's something like that um we're, we're gonna find out very you know it, it, we're gonna find out because that that's going to be a, a very big deal the nba cashed in at the exact right time to yep. get the the contract that it got and Listen, the commissioner of the NBA is graded on the continued revenue growth of the league. And right now, I I have zero doubts that the next contract is going to be bigger than this contract, all told. Yeah, but in percentage, like it might not grow as much as like the last contract did. Everything is expectations versus reality, right? And so I I don't know. There there aren't enough people who know 
how to talk about this intelligently to set like the right expectations. So they're going to listen to whatever the NBA tells them on what an expectation is going to be. That's fair. That's a fair assessment. There's a lot of things in life that seem to be that way these days. Um, I'm just, I'm just saying that we do not discuss enough, maybe because no one gives a shit, but I, I seem to care. Uh, And I find this to be an incredibly interesting storyline, which is for all of the cultural cachet that the NBA seems to have at this moment and for all of the talking up uh, inside a very insular media world that the NBA has created about the product and what it means, you know, culturally and all this crap, people are not watching it as much. People are not tuning in. I don't know that we know that. I... So like off of the public information that we have, people are not watching it as much. And I, I'm not as willing to go to where you're at. And I, I, I see to your expertise on this matter, but right. So, uh, so like with yeah. the NFL, the NFL has an older audience. I think we would agree with that. Right. Like, uh, it's indisputable. Right. So those ratings are not going to be as affected by the changing distribution method of mm-hmm. the way that people consume content. Right. Right. The NBA, which naturally has a younger audience, is going to be drastically. 100. I mean, drastic is is strong. I think drastic is strong. I I think it's drastic. Like, I think that the NBA's. Hold on. Let me let me pull this up. I don't think the NBA's actual. I mean, it's younger, but it's still old. By what standard? By like the standard of normal people. The average. I mean, listen, the NFL's average age is 50 for a viewer. Which is so? Old. Are, are you talking about just like TV viewings? Or yeah, this is this is the average NBA audience. So this is again off of the this is the Sports Business Journal. Um, there, the this is the public numbers, right? So is what it is. Uh, this is off of the NBA's releases that their ratings were up thirty percent on ESPN and TNT in December of 2017. That number was tied into this. So their average median age is about 40, 42 years old, which is really young by watching sports on TV, but not yes. like, not ridiculous. Not like, it's not like MLS where the average age is like 29. Um, For a major, like the MLS or like MLS, I'm sorry. Right. And the I ratings are, the, the ratings MLS. are night and day. No bad. one's arguing. Yeah. Um, but like MLS, it's just such a, different ball game because the nba is an established brand whereas mls is still establishing itself 100 mls is particularly trying to get to a younger audience whereas the nba is trying to spread it more uh across the spectrum right 100 so the no, fact that they're at 42 is really really good i think it is no one's arguing that they're not young what i'm saying though is let's not you know project out as if they are you know the youngest that that exists. They're certainly by far compared to Major League Baseball, which is 57, and I would imagine actually that number's gone up uh, fairly significantly in the last two or three years. <laughs> 57 uh, is so old. It's so old uh, for I like actually, an average age. Like 57 in general is not so old, but like for an average age of viewer, that's incredibly old. Yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely preposterous. And then you, you, yeah, um, like golf. I think what is it? Hold on, I have it right here. Uh, Average age of the PGA Tour viewer is 64. Uh, average age of NASCAR is 58. Major League Baseball is 57. And these numbers are two, three years old. Um, MLB, 57. The Olympics, 53. College football, 52. College basketball, 52. So clearly everyone really cares about these kids. Uh, NFL is right. 50. And like that's a huge difference between those ages and Yeah, no, no, no. No one's is. arguing that the NBA isn't young in that. But again, we, we have to come down to how much can you monetize 
the young viewer and how much what are the barriers of monetization with the new ways of viewership? Because it's a very different ball game. No one, I I think that that's a fair thing to say that monetizing something that is more or less the same product, but delivered in a vastly different way makes it extremely difficult to monetize. Not to say that they can't do it, not to say that they aren't doing it, but we don't know. And I, I do hold out a certain level of skepticism when it comes to how how the NBA and ESPN and TNT are monetizing the younger viewers who are not watching in the traditional manners. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Okay, and, so, so think about this. When the next rights deal comes up, like it's yep. expected that Amazon is going to get in the bidding somehow, right? We've been saying that for a few years now, and they're not really that involved. But there's, there's really nothing to be super involved with with the NBA, right? In what, in what regard? Like, like in right regard now? to like, no, no, I'm talking about any, I'm rights. talking about any sports thing. Right. Like, I know. Amazon's so, not, Amazon didn't pay the NFL all that much money. The NFL needed Amazon more than Amazon needed the NFL in their right, little. But the reason for that is that the NFL couldn't offer exclusivity on right. the broadcast, which Correct. is a really big deal. Right. Yes. Um, like Amazon is going to offer the NBA an incredible amount of money because what Amazon values is the ability to exclusively produce content or exclusively have content on their right. site right yeah. so i like i'm not real concerned to be honest yeah like, I, I, I again I, that's just one of those imagine things if you that can we just keep run, saying you can run I, league pass through amazon prime at that stage right now they can do it right now oh yeah they have the capability to do it right now but no like, i mean I, they, i'm they, saying they, like but they have they have a league pass option in, in the amazon prime app now you have to pay for it like everywhere else so it's no different right. than a normal cable provider I, I don't disagree with you, but I, I do think that maybe the expectation of the big internet companies coming in and offering massive amounts of money for live TV rights in a brand exclusivity thing is a bit overhyped. And it's kind of this you know great hope out in the distance because I understand there hasn't been an exclusivity for the NFL product, but um, we just haven't seen them really bid that much money. I mean, if Amazon wanted demanded exclusivity, they probably could have pulled it off for a couple of uh, Thursday night games. I mean, if they demanded it. And yet, because Yahoo got exclusivity on some stuff, and they barely paid for it. By my Well, Yahoo got uh, exclusivity for on the 6 a.m. window. The Pacific. app only, though, for the 6 a.m. window. Like, you couldn't even watch it on Amazon.com, like, on your desktop. Oh, yeah, You yeah. had to run it through your app to do it. No, I get that, and that's that was their play to get people to download their app. My, my right. thought is, essentially, we've already seen YouTube TV, which was a pretty big jump for Google. They've already upped their prices by a significant margin. So they're all, I mean, within about, I think, 18 months, it might have even been less, they've already decided this live TV game thing is not something we want to have a loss lead on. And so we're going to start charging what it really costs. And it's setting up, I mean, just the the way that that projects out is they just say, we're not doing this shit anymore because all of the individual fees for, you know, scripts or ESPN and all this stuff, it, we, we're going to break even at best. And the data that we're getting off of this is not really worth it. Like, what are we really learning about people? Uh, so I, I just I, I am I totally understand where you're coming from. I don't think you're wrong. Again, there's just a skepticism because people across the, the world of sports have been holding on really <laughs> how the ratings are currently gauged is strange. But I do know that the leagues are still very much in bed with the traditional partners and 
that's not something that I think any of them want to mess up too much, even if, yes, it's a younger audience, even if, yes, they can monetize the new ways of putting games on the air uh, just as well, if maybe even better uh, than maybe that's the case. But there's a reason that they still have a deal with ESPN. There's a reason that they still, you know, that they didn't think outside the box. I mean, and you look at, you know, boxing and, and how that, how that's operated for them when they went off of traditional television means obviously a long time ago and went to pay-per-view, it killed the damn sport. And now they're trying to bring it back by going back to normal cable and even network stuff. So, um, and you look at, you know, the WWE, they were only on cable. Now they're trying, they got a big old deal, which is not working uh, by the ratings right now. Got a big old deal to be on FS1 and on Big Fox. Uh, You look at uh, UFC, they wanted to get off of Fox and get off of more pay-per-view and go to a bigger a bigger thing in ESPN and try to get some ABCs on there. Like people want where the eyeballs are. And see, are I still... will be very interested to see if UFC ever ends up on ABC. Well, that that's their angle. I doubt that it will. But that they that my understanding is that there's that's the the push now that they're in their push is to get on network TV and that was something that Fox wasn't willing to do. Yeah. See, I I don't know enough about their business model to really know. I I would. I just hesitate to have like very strong opinions on this. Well, that's without, well, that's probably a smart thing to do, Sam. But uh, you know, come come down into the muck with me. Without any sort, like, but to me, it's impossible to have very strong opinions on this because we totally lack information. Like, You're I right. think, like, I'll be honest with you. I think Clay Travis actually is pretty smart when it comes to this stuff. Um, I can't believe I said it, that either. Jesus. Yeah. Like I actually do think that he knows what he's talking about when he talks about this stuff. Yeah. And even him, I just come away thinking Clay still doesn't have enough information to no. yeah, yeah, yeah. like be proclaiming death for such things. I'm uh, not proclaiming death for the NBA. What I'm merely saying is uh, the bubble that we operate in, in this industry to where we, keep saying that, you know, this is the up and coming, this is this is the be all to end all and the NBA is going to take over everything else. I think that that bubble's going to burst. It should it actually it should already have burst. The fact that the Warriors are the only team that continues to get really good ratings year over year is disconcerting enough to say there's something wrong with what's happening right now. And maybe that's the Warriors themselves uh, and, and that the team is too top heavy and there's too much of a presumption that they're going to win so no one engages in anybody else. Maybe that's the case. But I feel very comfortable saying that there the the league is not going to want to be putting out press releases on the ratings of a Houston Portland Denver Western Conference Finals and a Milwaukee Toronto Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, not that they're not going to be great games. Not that I'm not going to watch them all. But I think that there's going to be an issue in terms of ratings that they're not going to want to get out there. Same for any combination for the NBA Finals. And now we have a narrative issue that. Yes, it's going to be drastically overblown, but I, I would expect the tide to change rather significantly in terms of the momentum that this league has had behind it in it's a big deal. And this is, you know, culturally relevant and all this stuff. And that's something that the NBA has capitalized on in an impressive way over the last few years. And I think that as soon as the wind comes out of that sail, I don't know what they're going to do, but I do not trust these people to operate effectively in said environment. See again, just given how activated the nba audience is on you know platforms like twitter reddit yeah, twitter twitter is not the real world and neither no, is i know it's i mean we're, we're, like, we're talking twitter is about like 10 percent of the audience 
Right. Maybe. I mean, it's 10%. I mean, what is it of the American public? It's like 5% and only 2% are active on it. Like, yeah, it's, it's like 10% and 1% in terms of that's like nothing. people who own Twitter and then people who are active on Twitter. Yes, like who gives a shit about those numbers? I mean, people, do you, when you go on Twitter, there's not a big bang theory conversation every week. I don't know who you're following. And I, I, I certainly can tell you from who I'm following people aren't too, you know, but big bang theory pulls 20 million viewers every week. Like right. it's, not, it's not an accurate representation of society because one, we create our own bubble and two, the people who are typically to be chosen from when it comes to who we put in our bubble are already operating right, under this big, elite Big strategy. Bang Theory is kind of a different conversation just 100%. because it is a show that kind of got grandfathered in to ratings yeah. in a way. No, I get it. Uh, er, I get into it. like this era of like fragmented viewing model or viewing patterns, right? So okay, explain that to me. So because so Big Bang Theory is on its what tenth season now. You could say the yeah. same about uh, what like some of the like NCIS shows. You could say yeah. the same about Modern Family as and well. And let's establish that CBS has the oldest viewership known to man, and so they're correct. Old people watch CBS, and old people watch traditional television. So correct. Yeah. So over the last let's call it six or seven years. There has been a significant change in the way that people view content, basically, let's call it. Uh, 100%. Scripted content, uh, non-scripted content, such as the NBA, et cetera. Just like everything is very different from the way that people uh, view things. But the people who watched Big Bang Theory early on and watched some of these legacy, let's call them shows. They've stuck around is what you're saying. They have stuck around in the way that they consume their content because in general, as you mentioned, their They're viewership old. age is a little bit older. So but the NFL like doesn't have that you're same not seeing, Yeah, like you're not seeing any of these new television shows that are right. uh, you know, killing it in the ratings. Like they aren't killing it to the extent that Big Bang Theory and Modern Family and X, Y, and Z are killing it, not because of the quality of content, just because of the way that viewership patterns have changed, right? But, but like, isn't the NBA as a TV show, like, isn't that, isn't there legacy there, or does it change over too much year over year, or even month to month, to where you can feel as if there should be a strong pattern uh, that develops? Because it's not as if the NBA wasn't on TNT, when so I think, that, I think that what people kind of forget about the NBA is that it is by the standard of American professional sports, mm-hmm. an incredibly young audience and right. an incredibly Again, young, an incredibly young sport as well. Like, okay. if yeah, you look at like it is just not as established in the uh, whatever you want to call it uh, in the zeitgeist. I guess, of professional sports as right. Major League Baseball, which has been around since, you know, 1890. The NFL didn't really come together until the 60s, but, if we're prof- being totally honest. But professional football has been around for a long time. And yeah, college, but viewed, college football has been around for, you know, 100 plus years. Right. I mean, football as a sport is much more established, in my opinion than basketball is from a general viewership standpoint. And okay. there are also, I mean, we also have to consider this It's a this factual well. statement. I just don't know if I put as much credence into that as you. Like, to, to be honest, we also have to consider the racial dynamics of basketball yep. versus football, 
We have to consider uh, the racial dynamics of hockey versus basketball within the way that people have consumed all of the content, right? So like just because in many ways, so what basketball is, let's let's say that it is the sport that that African-Americans watch more than other sports, right? I don't know that data, but on a a baseline of representation, of course. Generally, African-Americans have had less money throughout the history of time than Caucasian Americans, correct? Without a doubt. So therefore, I would envision that a lower percentage of African Americans have cable and or have had cable for longer periods of time and, you know, had cable in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Now cable or, you know, however you consume content via the internet is is pretty universal and ubiquitous, right? It hasn't always been like that. So I would venture that because the NBA has long been uh, cable has, you know, been on cable and uh, just isn't quite as established and has different viewership uh, in terms of audience uh, Mm -hmm. demographics and has different viewership uh, in terms of uh, youth in terms of, or uh, demographics in terms of race and demographics in terms of age, that they are more likely to be uh, viewed by a younger audience and viewed in a shifted manner uh, Mm -hmm. in comparison to what, uh, you know, a, sports such as football or such as hockey or such as baseball is yes no question the nba of those options is the best bet what i'm saying is it's not as clear cut of a best bet in the micro in the micro as it is presumed to be Um, sure i think that's reasonable but i I feel pretty i feel pretty confident on it though to be honest yeah I'm, 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 i'm i'm totally fascinated to find out but last year we didn't i wasn't thinking these same questions yeah i'm not particularly worried i will say that Maybe it's just me. I, I, like, again, I, 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 I cede to your expertise in uh, the, the entertainment realm, but I'm, I'm raising the questions here. I don't think I'm completely ignorant to the concept. And yeah, I, I mean, ultimately it, it comes down to the fact that people want to tell on themselves. And I just found that entire fucking thing hilarious and informative afterwards. Well, yeah, the Houston play-by-play guy going at you and essentially like... Oh, that was so good, right? Calling himself out. For this oh they just they just they just need to tweet through it and they can go right ahead yeah <laughs> it's um, fine i mean listen it, my, my entire argument is viewership is down the one team that isn't that isn't down is the warriors if the nba really cares about ratings which maybe they don't but i would venture to hope that they would considering that's their business in many regards um adam silver would pull a david stern and, and be up to some shady shit but again adam silver doesn't really do anything now does he so that was my joke and uh, apparently everybody needs to tell on themselves in said regard. Yeah, the problem fine. is that people just like, you know, prematurely, yeah, they, they, they prematurely went at you, right? I don't, but like, that's the thing. Like, ultimately, and this is the beauty of Twitter, it doesn't matter. And it, I don't, like, I don't care. And it's truly funny. Uh, but like, if you're going to, if you want to argue about TV ratings, like, I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not the smartest guy. I'm just going off of the, the public, the public stuff. I appreciate you bringing in the, the non-public stuff. I, I do think that this is something that we need to be more cognizant of as sports fans, because as much as yes, I totally understand everyone's sick of the Warriors. I'm sick of the Warriors. Like that doesn't matter. Like ratings are ratings and ratings do matter. And, uh, the one, there's one team that's still doing good ratings. And if I was the NBA, I'd be concerned about that and, and losing the momentum that it has right now because i can only imagine how much momentum is sort of uh involved in their day-to-day operations 
and maybe maybe they operate maybe they're much smarter at this than me i would sure hope so but sometimes it doesn't feel like it well you know what Dieter? maybe next time people just won't go at you before knowing all of this and going at you prematurely that'd be great no no they should come at me it's it's all good like le- like legitimately i can see how they misconstrued it like I, ultimately if it hadn't if they well, hadn't gotten at me before i woke up i probably would have just been like this is not worth the trouble but now it's like i don't actually have any regrets about the tweet so i don't care like, just keep going. Well, all of this reminds me of our advertisement for hymns because <laughs> the problem that up to apparently 39% of men experience is premature ejaculation. Uh, is the fun ending too quickly? Uh, do you want to maintain your erections for longer? The deeper issue isn't timing. Uh, premature ejaculation can make men feel down on themselves and create a vicious cycle of sexual anxiety. Uh, most men aren't thrilled at the thought of opening up to a doctor about performance problems, but having a positive state of mind uh, is good in and of itself, and it can also be the key to better lovemaking and helps guys control when crunch time hits. Uh, the solution is forhims.com, the wellness brand for men. Uh, it offers access to physician consultations and prescription treatments online for the common issues men deal with. Uh, if you're worried about timing, it's time you stopped worrying about that. Visit forhims.com uh, to get convenient and affordable treatment. Uh, they connect you with a doctor online who can evaluate you and help you identify the right treatment for you. Best yet, it can be delivered right to your front door in discreet packaging. My listeners uh, get a special offer and you can just get started for $10. Go to forhimscom slash GT to get started. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash GT. See the website for full details and safety information. How you doing, Dieter? I'm, I'm owning the libs right now, Sam. Oh my God. <laughs> no, uh, let's kidding. talk about this series like seriously. So yes, can problem- we? Because it's actually really interesting. <laughs> So the big problem for the Warriors is that the smaller P.J. Tucker lineup uh, where they play him at the five has actually been like a significant deterrent to the way that, yeah, the Hamptons five. Well, let's 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 establish something. I've been thinking a lot about the 2016 NBA finals while watching this Warriors Rockets series because momentum, um, not to overuse that term, uh, given our last segment here, but. Momentum is very much on the rocket side heading into game five. We're about seven hours ahead of that right now. So by the time most of you probably hear this, uh, you'll have determined if I'm uh, an idiot or not when it comes to this. But the tuck wagon rotation that that gave the Warriors problems last year, and it's ultimately the Rockets' best switching defense. And the Rockets run a super switching defense on the premise of that's how you beat the Warriors. And we saw this time and time again in the 2016 NBA finals when Steph Curry was not at a hundred percent. That's no excuse, but he wasn't at hundred percent. So he couldn't go to his left and the Warriors kept trying to run high pick and roll to in the, in the Cavs pushed him left to the point where Kevin Love could guard Stephen Curry on the perimeter because he didn't have the legs to shoot from 30 something feet and stretch the defense. And he couldn't get past him if they funneled him in a direction. The Rockets aren't necessarily going to that extent, but this is the reason that the Warriors went out and got Kevin Durant. He was the second kind of smoke. They didn't have to rely entirely on the motion offense. When you go up against a switching defense, it's very hard to run a motion offense, especially in the playoffs when you can grab and hold and tug off ball. And this is why Klay Thompson's having such a rough series. This is why Steph Curry's having such a tough series. The only reason the Warriors have a two 
two, it's 2-2 in the series is because Kevin Durant is preposterous, and he has been every bit as good as James Harden, who has also been very good in this series at basically doing the same shit, and that's just ISOing up and making things happen. But when you have Tucker out on the floor, it makes Durant's life really hard because Tucker's a goddamn bowling ball with limbs. Uh, It makes Draymond Green's life hard because Draymond's playing 40 minutes at the center every night. And that's just a lot of banging for a guy who is honestly not as equipped to bang down in the post anymore because he's 20 pounds lighter coming into this playoff series. This is maybe one time where the weight would have been a benefit to him. He might have not been as effective in getting up and down the floor, but P.J. Tucker is a black hole of density. And if Draymond has to bang with him in the post on occasion, that's going to really do damage. Along with Nene, by the way, they throw him in there every now and again just to knock Draymond the wind out of him because Nene is a brick fucking wall. Um, the Warriors do not look equipped to handle this situation effectively because the Rockets are playing such effective defense on them with the switching and with the grabbing and the holding of the guys off the ball. And the referees are not going to call it. It's the Seahawks defensive model where if you do it all game, it normalizes it. This is not to say in any way that the referees are I mean, are rigging the game or not. This is what every smart team would do, and the Rockets are working it to perfection. And meanwhile, the Warriors are so disjointed in so many ways, and their lack of depth is so goddamn glaring, and now they have an injury to Andre Iguodala. There's every reason to fade the Warriors going into Game 5, because I think that the Rockets are playing their best basketball. They played inspired basketball in Games 3 and 4, there's a rage that I'm currently feeling from Rockets fans, like a rage towards the Warriors that I don't know if I've ever seen before when it comes to a rivalry. I mean, they are the, you don't see the whites of their eyes. They are so bloodlusty. Um, that the Rockets are fueled off of that in many regards. They already play a, a crafty game. Uh, it, it, it impacts the whistle in a big way. I, yeah, I think there's plenty of reasons to fade the Warriors. I think P.J. Tucker has been the absolute difference in the series, as you mentioned. And uh, and this Iguodala injury, he's probable to play in Game 5 here with a knee sprain. Man, I have a very hard time seeing him be hyper-effective because the Warriors can't stop James Harden unless it's Iguodala on the ball. Even though Durant did okay, Clay is getting his butt kicked. Iguodala on the ball, Draymond behind him. Any other combination has been rough. And I think that the Rockets have, have kind of cracked the code here. So, Stephen Curry in Houston... Yep. Shot 33% on uncontested field goal attempts. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that that holds? No. I'm very int- I, The one thought I have in this series is that the whistle is probably going to determine it. So the home court whistle is always a thing. It's a bit more pronounced in the playoffs. This is not some indictment or, you know, the game is being rigged or anything like this. The first two games, the Warriors got favorable whistles. We can clearly state that after game one. I thought game two was expertly officiated. Harden has not been called for a push off yet in this series, and he pushes off every time. It's his game. Again, he's normalized it, and the refs don't see it anymore, and nor should they really call a push off uh, offensively uh, in the NBA playoffs. There's a certain level of decorum to be had. Uh, but the, the Rockets won every 50-50 ball. They out-rebounded, especially on the offensive glass, the Warriors. And that hustle gives them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to judgment calls from the referees. So the Rockets got the benefit of the whistle, I thought, in games three and four. I bet the Warriors get in game five. And then I, get, I bet the Rockets get it again in game six, which leads us to probably what would be a game seven. And he, game sevens, I've seen enough of them officiated to know 
that it will favor the more physical team. And the Rockets are absolutely that. And I think that that physicality has knocked Steph off his game. I think that the twisted ankle to it that he got in game six of uh, the first round series that has never really been given a full opportunity to get better has been an issue there because he it's the same ankle like three times over the past month. Uh, it's not in great shape, and it does limit his ability to cut a little bit, which we don't notice all that much against the Rockets' defense, which is pretty bad on the perimeter, in my opinion. And then the final thing is he dislocated his finger in game two, and that thing is fucking gross looking, straight so, up. So I, Clay, I, I, Clay Thompson I shot thirty eight percent in those two games uncontested. Yeah, I think they both, shot thirty five percent on uncontested shots. They are the two best shooters of all time. Like I yeah. think that maybe not I think the two that best these shooters. These are body of all blows. Time, I don't. I think this is. You think that it just like blows up? Small sample, and I think that they're gonna just start knocking down shots. Like it's a very so, fair assessment. I, I I disagree though. Like I, I get it. I do think that there is reason. Like I don't think that uh, like either of those two guys are being defended poorly. I actually think they're being defended well. It's just especially off ball. They are still getting open shots, and the open shots that they're getting, they're not knocking down at a level commensurate with literally two of the five best shooters who have ever yeah. fucking lived no question no question but the question is why is that is that just small sample size theater and the variance of the three-point shot or is it something that houston is doing yes the shots are uncontested but what led up to the uncontested moment the other thing you have to take into account is some of those uncontested shots are from steph curry at least are layups and he's missed like six bunnies in this series because he does not have the ability to control the ball with his left hand right now yeah it's like a lobster claw out there which it's incredible that he's able to get to the basket uncontested but they're selling out on the perimeter and letting him drive in because they know his ball handling is not at the hyper elite ability it usually is they're trapping kevin durant knowing the same thing with him that he's a very good ball handler until he's pressured they're doing the same thing with clay thompson who is not a ball handler straight up the rockets are really, well, so, really, really smart, and they're really physical, and I do think that takes a toll. So one of the ideas I've seen raised about Stephen Curry being injured is that Stephen yeah. Curry, in many ways, is the Chris Traeger of the NBA. Oh, where that's his a good one. Even body, a single grain of sand. Yeah, his body is a microchip, and even a single grain of sand can knock this thing out of whack in a way that makes him perform much less than what his uh, abilities are. Like he has a dislocated finger right now. Um, yeah. Could that potentially yeah. affect him more than others? I mean, probably. I mean, he, he's a touch shooter. Uh, right. Like he's a ball handler. Yeah. I mean, listen, I actually I kind of not agree make... with the take. Like, I don't, I don't want to make excuses for stuff. That's exactly like, he's not making the excuse. So I'm sure shit not going to make the excuse for him. But if yeah. I, if you dislocate, the Warriors are carrying s several injuries that would have kept a guy out in the regular season. So obviously we understand what that means and the Warriors don't give a shit about the regular season, but they would have kept him out for 10 days, if not longer. That ankle injury that Steph got in game six, he would have been out for a week, just even just as precaution. The one that Clay, I mean, there were questions if Clay's ankle was going to be good enough for him to go in game one of this series against the Rockets. He got three days off between two and three, but like, Come on, I, do you really expect... He's still limping around a little bit in the locker room, but he's clay, he's tough. Steph is refusing to make it an excuse. That's fine, we'll, I'll, I'll give him that. If he doesn't say it's an excuse, who am I to say that it is? But I'm seeing limitations with the left hand, and I think the Rockets are scheming him towards limitations with the left hand. So it, it, it certainly seems like something we should be talking about. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah, and then I, I think the Draymond and the Iguodala thing are... are Equally, the Iguodala thing is huge. They, if, if they don't have Iguodala, and, or if he's not 100%, 
they're completely fucked straight yeah, up. Yeah, I think they don't that have they're a backup. in trouble. They have no backup. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to play Kavon Looney lineups then. Like that's basically the move, right? Well, and, and, and Harden has finally figured out Looney um, in that you can drive past him. Yes, like, that is. Yeah, that is. It, it took him two fucking years, but he figured it out, and and now he's throwing changeups on top of that. So he drove past him, I think, like nine straight times, and so Looney started to dip back a little bit. This was, I think, third quarter, if not fourth, of Game Four. Looney dips back a little bit, falls into the lane, waiting for, basically, saying to Harden, "Do the floater." Essentially, I'll fall back in and I'll meet you at the rim if you want to get all the way there. And Harden did just the nastiest step back because he's James Harden and pulled up for three and knocked it down. And it's like, okay, now it's over. He he he's <laughs> he's he's won the battle. And there's no way that Kevon Looney, outside of Harden and his legs, just completely betraying him as they did in Game Four of this series in the fourth quarter, where I think he went one of or one of twelve, something like that. Um, as it has happened so many times before. Outside of that, I think Harden has everybody besides Iguodala on skates. And if that's the case, the Rockets are going to be able to put up 110 points per game, and their defense is playing well enough to where they can feel comfortable limiting the Warriors to less than 110. So the guy that I want to talk about above all in the series is, well, really two. P.J. Tucker has been just fucking amazing um in every way like they've given him so many different assignments he's been a monster on the offensive glass but the second guy i want to talk about is eric gordon he has been the difference maker i think like full stop he his ability to knock down shots gives them the firepower to keep up with golden state i think yeah i i I totally agree i mean the way i broke it down going into this series i thought it was almost overly simplistic which was the matchups are, are going to dictate everything. This is going to be a top-heavy series. Austin Rivers has been really nice for the Rockets off the bench. Even, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Amon Shumpert uh, getting that kind of, you know, bench player home crowd boost and, and played pretty damn well in games three and four. But it's Harden versus Durant. They're both going to do the isolation game. It's Steph versus Chris Paul. They're both going to do the pick-and-roll game. And uh, it's Clay versus Eric Gordon. And Eric Gordon has kicked Clay's ass in three of the four games in this series. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Rockets have been in really good position in all four of the games and that they've won two of those three that Eric Gordon has been better. Uh, that's just not the case. Eric Gordon is not a player on Clay Thompson's level. I think Eric Gordon's an exceptional player. But Clay Thompson's a guy who's going to get a max this summer, and, and Eric Gordon's not that dude. And so for Clay Thompson to be giving up points to a guy like Eric Gordon and to be getting his ass kicked even defensively comparatively uh, is, is is really jarring for anyone who's looking at the Warriors for a chance for them to win it. Because I don't see a reason that it would change other than Clay just breaks out of his slump. And I still think that so many parts of this slump are Rockets-induced. I think that Clay is going to start making shots. I'm not super worried about that necessarily. Yeah. I just and don't it, think Eric is going to stop making shots. And if that's an even matchup, okay, then we keep going down deeper onto the list. And so Clint Capella has been really good since game one. Uh, Draymond took away a lot of the lob stuff, and he's adapted. And his passing has been really good. Uh, it's it's all rock solid. Uh, so Capella versus Draymond, um, maybe that's the play. Maybe we're going to say it's Iguodala against. It's not a, a direct one-for-one, one, but you're looking at just who are the – five players who are on the court and PJ Tucker has been absolutely outstanding. Every bit as good as Draymond, if not a little bit better. 
Uh, and Andre Iguodala has been fantastic too. But once Clint Capella upped his game, that margin's not there. So it really does come down to kind of that third spot, which is Clay has to be better than Eric Gordon. And if Eric Gordon's better than Clay, the Rockets are going to win because I feel like it's fairly even everywhere else. Chris Paul has not been very good in this series, in my opinion. He's a very good player, but he hasn't been very good in this series. And Steph has certainly not been. So we're, we can call that matchup a wash. I think Harden versus Durant has been more or less a wash as well, which is only a testament to how great both of those guys are and how much of a slugfest and isolation heavy this series has become. Um, let's Let's call Draymond and PJ even uh, because PJ won the last two. Draymond won the first two. Uh, and Draymond's been playing out of his mind. PJ's been playing out of his mind. So it comes down to Iguodala and Capella. Okay. I, I don't know if that maybe is enough to warrant an entire series to be swung on those two guys themselves. But now that Iguodala is injured, that advantage rockets. And again, Clay and, and Eric Gordon. And Eric Gordon has had the better of Clay Thompson. That's just not something that should happen. And it's why the favorite, I don't think that they should be the favorite anymore. I mean, that's just, that's just how I see it. Yeah, I'm still betting on the Warriors. Like I might yeah. actually just full on bet on the Warriors. Feel free. I mean, I don't know what the odds are. I mean, Vegas usually knows this shit, right? I actually don't know either. It's a good question. Let's take a I, look. I told people to bet on the Rockets, not on this show. I haven't been on in a while, but like I was telling yeah, people you, to bet you've on been, the Rockets. You've been busy. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, get get back here. This is bad. Yeah, I know. Um, plus two twenty five uh, going into this series. I thought that was ridiculous. Uh, the Rockets do. This is Daryl Morey's. Listen, I find the Rockets' style of basketball to be at least on the offensive side, uh, unartistic and aesthetically repulsive. Like, but then again, you know, my favoritism lies with the Warriors and the style that they play there. Like, that's well established to anyone who's listened to me for five minutes. Like, I prefer a flowing motion offense where everyone's involved and they play the beautiful game. That doesn't mean that, you know, the other style isn't effective. <laughs> I mean, clearly, it's extremely effective. It's just not fun to watch. But it's built to challenge the Warriors in areas that they've always had an issue with, but have particularly struggled with this year reaching um not being you know the defensive setup with their switching and physicality that is tailor-made to beat the warriors everything the rockets do is tailor-made to beat the warriors but the warriors are beating themselves so often this year and they have and that's their track record that it's really showing up and it really showed up in games three and four it's a testament to kevin durant that the warriors had any chance the warriors should have lost game four by 25 points they got their asses kicked except durant is so goddamn good that he kept him alive and the Rockets' legs got tired as they always do. The, the Warriors could win the next two easily. The Rockets can squeak out the next two as well. Or it can come down to a game seven where basically they're going to throw two knives on the court and they're going to let them fight to the death as we saw in game seven of the 2016 NBA Finals. And the Warriors are not equipped for games like that outside of Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. And I don't think that that's enough to beat a Rockets team that is particularly built for that kind of a basketball game, especially when you add in all of the weird energy and mojo and toxicity around this Warriors team, because we know it's the end of the dynasty no matter what happens. And they have compartmentalized so much shit all year that they've almost become, they were already, but now there's an entitlement to, we've had to put up with so much shit, we better win the title. Well, you got to actually do it. You actually have to rise to the occasion here. And I have not seen this team be able to consistently keep their game at an A level once this entire year. This team lulls better than anybody, not just in game, 
but over a course of back-to-backs and stuff. There's just this belief that once they get there, once they get to the top of their game, it will just stay there and that no one can touch them. The Rockets are the one team in the NBA in the West, or I'm sorry, in the Western Conference that can absolutely touch them. I've been high on the Bucks in the same regard all year, but let's just see if the Warriors can get there. Um, their hubris might kill them. And right now it's, it bore out in games three and four. Nothing has actually happened in this series because momentum it, momentum doesn't really exist all that much, and nothing happens in a series as the axiom goes until the home team loses. But they go into a game five that they have to win because they are not this team. I'm telling you straight up, having been around them all year, having been on the road with them for the last couple of weeks, this team does not have the ability to do what they did last year against the Rockets, which is obviously the home court advantage to switch, but win games six and seven. If the chips are stacked against them already being down in the series, they do not have it whatsoever. This team, this team could very well crumble under the scrutiny that that's going to come over the next two or three games. Or this is the one time that they're going to actually rise to the occasion, show that championship spirit that they keep saying that they have but have not shown yet this year. And it's business as usual, and everyone's presumptions are proved correct. But let's not let's not forget this moment right now when things look particularly hairy, because the Rockets deserve that credit for making it that way and the warriors deserve that scorn for constantly beating themselves yeah i'm not as not as worried (laughs) just not not as worried (laughs) like i honestly wish i could come up with like some like in-depth analysis on this that goes beyond no it's fine yeah the warriors have shot like shit and they're still the warriors and things are going to be fine like i don't mean to disrespect houston when i say this like houston's really good houston has been probably the best team in the NBA in the second half of the season, other than maybe Milwaukee. <laughs> it's just yeah. hard for me to get past the Warriors have four all-stars and you don't. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I mean, we were, I was watching, I think it was in game two and the Warriors had the Hamptons five death line and put everyone call it on the floor. And the Rockets had both Paul and, and Harden on the floor at the same time. And I thought to myself, there are seven hall of famers on the floor right now. It's unreal. Like the, it's, it's incredible. The uh, series is unreal. Yeah, it's really it's really good. And and, and yeah, game five is going to be incredible. I, I don't you know, I, I'm very, very, very much looking forward to it. So long as the uh, Rockets play by play guy doesn't stab me when I walk in the building. He's just he just keeps going in. He just keeps going in. Oh, is he still talking to you? Well, no, I think I think that there's now like a media fight that's happening around me. <laughs> <laughs> I have people like updating me like, here's how this is going. Um whatever let's just let's just close the twitter machine today Dieter. no it's fine it's i honestly uh i find it all to be extremely hilarious probably to my own detriment let's talk about uh let's talk about nikola jokic i want to talk about nikola jokic my body um nikola jokic is fucking amazing i was like a very i questioned him big time skeptics both of us going into the playoffs significantly he is unbelievably good he is one of the best centers offensively i've ever seen in my life no question straight up that dude is unbelievable um i mean it helps that the the blazers don't really have any decent centers sure like that's that's a factor but i mean he did it against san antonio too he averaged 23 12 and 9 credit where it's due lamarcus aldridge and against like jacob pertle who's a pretty good pretty good player yeah like no, 26. he's going to get his. The question is, is how much is he going to give up on the other 26, end? 26, 14, and 9 in this series. Savor, savor my large son's dominance. He's he's the man. He's the man. And uh, 
I don't know. Do you feel like the Nuggets have figured something out? They've obviously they've obviously been an extremely frustrating team to watch in so many regards, and, and much of that is just on their mercurial backcourt. Um, but do you feel like something is clicking here? Because they've always run it through Jokic. He's obviously always been really good. He's an MVP candidate. He's not going to win it, but he's an MVP candidate. Um, do you, but do you feel like maybe they've gotten to a, another level here, or are they just playing a team that's more or less kind of on their level and it, it lets both teams kind of bring out the best in each other? Yes, I think that it is more the latter. They've met a team that is on yeah. their level, but the specific Jokic matchup yeah, is it's, it's, a it's killer for Portland. Yeah. yeah, like Ennis Cantor is just not good enough on the perimeter to deal with him. Oh, sorry. Uh, and, Zach and Collins is not strong enough to deal with him. Myers Leonard is, I'm sorry, Myers, but option. he's just not good enough to do this. So like, and I don't think you can put out Farouk on him because that would just be he just shoots over him, right? Like yeah. he shoots over Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless the same way, yeah. right? So like, they need a PJ Tucker. They need a bowling ball, right? They need someone that's stronger and can do this, and they just don't have that don't have guy, right? Which is fine. Yeah. It is what it's, it is it's not a, yeah it's not a it's it, not a shot i mean it just it means the portland by the way nurkic like against him it just means the portland is it uh, would have been hilarious to watch nurkic in a playoff series against him given the fact that denver consistently started nurkic over yeah. Jokic for like a year and a half but explicably i mean yusuf is good but you know looking at what Jokic has become it's it's tough um yeah. well i mean i remember i remember being heavily on that bandwagon like what are we doing here right <laughs> Like, please, please stop this madness. Let my, but what, let my what boy Portland live. is, yeah, what Portland is now resigned to is getting just aberrant, unstoppable shooting performances from right. Damian Lillard and, and from CJ McCollum. McCollum. Like, 100%. that might happen. Uh, it also might happen that not Rodney a, Hood. It's not a manner to win a game, though. Like, Rodney Hood has been really, really good in this series. He is. That's not that surprising, though. I mean, doing listen, his it, part. It's a little surprising that Rodney Hood is having a big game, but like, or, you know, he certainly had a great overtime in that quadruple overtime contest, uh, carried him with the fresh legs. But it's not that big of a surprise that Rodney Hood is like an effective no. player. He can shoot in, in, in a series where it's just in this series, you just need shooters. Any additional shooters are, are big ups because CJ and, and CJ is going to demand a double team, at least with help side or at least extra help side attention. You know, Dame is going to attract almost a double team every single time. Um, and while I like the the Nuggets' depth at the wing position, uh, when you're playing both Millsap and Jokic, it's an issue. So um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not that honestly shocked that Rodney Hood was there. I remember in the first game of the series, I'm like, I think they should use more Rodney Hood. <laughs> like it feels like that might be a viable option for them. So, but yeah, they, they are they're playing the three point variance game pretty strong here, and that's that's scary. Yeah. So like Portland basically needs both CJ and Dame. To have 24 points, basically, right? Like, they need those guys to combine for 50 or so, I would say. It feels it feels more than that, but yeah, 50 is the right number. To get but, them in the ball game, though. Otherwise, right. they're going to struggle. Oh, um, yeah. They, they stand no chance unless one of those guys is dropping 20 and the other one's dropping 30. Right. So, I'm just not real sure if that... I mean, like, anything can happen over the course of two games, Right, like if Portland yeah. won this series, I don't think anyone would be surprised necessarily, no. Um, no. especially just because Damian is just incredible. He's that in good. He's so that many good. ways. 
but I, I do it feels think like Denver, Denver has the upper hand, right? Has the upper hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in a pretty substantial way, just because now they have the game in hand, they have the home game to finish it if they need it, um, where they do have a very real, very legitimate advantage in Denver at home. So yeah, I think Denver wins this series. Uh, I, you still I, think in seven? Yeah, I'd probably bet in seven. Yeah. I think. So. Yeah. I feel Denver in seven too. I yeah. think that's a fair assessment. It's a great series. Uh, it's an awesome, awesome series. And then the other guy that we should talk about. That is, no one's watching. Sorry. Uh, I think a lot of people were watching that series. I think it's really fun. No, I think, um, I think, I think people who know basketball love it. That's true. Sorry. I'm not, um, going, we're not going back. We're not going back. Toronto and Philadelphia. Kawhi Leonard has uh, it's entered a very, very God simple, right? mode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he might be God. He might be. It's impossible to say he isn't. He doesn't speak yeah. enough. Yeah, like we, we don't know if he's a robot. We don't know if he's an alien. He might mm. be a god. Uh, yeah. But the big thing for them uh, in game five, which they won to take a 3-2 lead in the series, is that, time. yeah, they got Kyle Lowry going. They got yes. Danny Green going. They got mm-hmm. their backcourt going. If the backcourt is going for Toronto against uh, Philadelphia in the series, there's just okay. not really a way for Philadelphia uh, to keep up, in my opinion, because uh, – just with the way that Joel Embiid is playing right now, he does not look 100%, I don't think. Nope. Uh, he is he is the trots and the shits real bad, is my guess. Uh, but Marcus all yep. is strong. Like, he can kind of yep. body him in the post if necessary. He's smart. He doesn't fall for as many of those, like, pump fake threes as Joel does and gets into the paint and uses his World's unbelievable pump footwork. Um, and then Ben Simmons just hasn't been good enough. I mean, like, no. let's just kind of call it what it is. Like, he's... Then they're playing mind games with them. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, like, the pressure's too much. The pressure's too much when you don't have a jump shot. Because if, if, you, if you shoot it once and you knock it down, you can say fuck you for the rest of the game and do whatever the hell you want. But he just refuses to shoot it. And so th- they've now dictated the terms of engagement. And he's not doing enough with the space that the Raptors are giving him. And a lot of credit for that should go to Kawhi because he's a god and uh, is absolutely locking down Ben Simmons. And all you have to do is throw that at him every now and again. And you have a margin in points. I mean, just it, it goes out. Like Ben Simmons controlling the ball. I don't know what the number is, but I would venture to say it's probably under one one point per possession. Whereas well, yeah, Kawhi, like, so Ben this series yeah. is averaging like nine and a half, seven rebounds, and like four assists. Yikes! That's what are you yeah, supposed that, to do with that? That's that's yikes. And like his field goal percentage is fine. Like he's, he's just not he's just not like there. There's this is where the argument of volume comes into play. Like yes. for Philadelphia to be at its best, Ben has to be able to do things against Toronto. He can't actually do anything. And because, if he can't do anything, he's also not creating for other people because the entire point right. is you have to throw a second dude at him. And now you have a four on three advantage because he's an excellent passer. But with exactly Kawhi, you just right. leave Kawhi on him, And that's one. And you can't, you can't win. You know, and then you they throw win. bodies at him in the, on the break too. Like it's exactly there. Yeah. This is can we problem. give Nick nurse some credit here. Like I understand that it's Kawhi reaching God levels and stuff, but like, I think that the, the rock, it, it's not that complicated of a game plan. Don't get me wrong. They're not reinventing basketball here, but I do think Nick nurse has done a really nice job in scheming for Philly. And it helps that Embiid is not near Kawhi's level. That was always going to be the difference, right? Like, again, we're kind of going back to my lame ass analysis of the warriors rocket series, but like, Kawhi is clearly the best player on the court. That was probably always going to be the case, but Joel Embiid could have given him a run for it if Joel Embiid was 
healthy and playing his best game because Joel Embiid is also incredible and affects the game on both ends. And then it would have come down to like Lowry versus Ben Simmons and like Tobias Harris versus Danny Green. And it's like you feel really good about those situations if you're Philadelphia, right? Uh, and you're feeling a little hairy about it, even though you like your guys on the Raptors, like you're feeling a little bit hairy about it. But when Kawhi is this much better than Joel Embiid on a nightly basis, the, the margins are just always going to favor the Raptors in this. And now they're playing with some confidence and they're playing with some verve. And I don't see any reason to believe that Kawhi is just going to start missing shots. Like, I don't understand what's happening. It's superhuman, but the dude doesn't miss anymore. And he's shooting some really difficult shots. And, uh, He's just he's peaking at the right time. All that uh, all that load management really panned out. Yeah, Kawhi is very good at basketball. This is a this is a hot take. That- it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I, I just think we forget how good he is because we most most of the times you remember him as the best perimeter defender in the NBA, like Barnum. Yeah, like Kawhi might be the best player in the NBA right now. I don't think it's a ridiculous concept. I mean, like I, it, I like if you dip- made me say one name, I would say Kevin Durant. But if you yep. made a case for Kawhi, I think that you could very legitimately make a case for Kawhi. I I, I wouldn't argue with it. Um, like it depends, and this is this is a, an overarching issue with maybe how basketball is is handled or viewed by the public, which is I don't think we give enough credit to guys who are great at defense, and we know that the league doesn't really care about defense all that much. But what Kawhi is doing on the defensive side, as per usual, is stupendous, and for him to also be a hyper elite offensive player is unfair. It's unfair. So, yeah, I, I think as someone who does value defense, I feel very comfortable saying that Kawhi Leonard right now in this moment is the player that I want on my team most. Uh, I, I think that's fair. Kevin Durant's doing incredible stuff, but Kawhi's doing just as well on the offensive end, and he's a much better defender. And Durant's not a bad defender. So uh, this is it, this moment's probably fleeting in some realm uh, in the sense of we, we're we so conditioned, it seems, based on you know the talk shows that are on ESPN to have to rank everything all the time and everything is just this constant who's number one and who's number two and where does he rank to Jordan and like it's this simplistic nonsense that permeates the the national narrative let's just take into account that I don't know if you can say with a good conscience that anyone in the world is playing better than Kawhi Leonard right now and that you wouldn't want Kawhi Leonard on your team and oh yeah he's a free agent this summer yeah Kawhi is really good um do, how much do we want to go into like the Boston-Milwaukee series? I mean, how much do we really need to say? Giannis is awesome. The Bucks are figured some stuff out. They've worked through some of the kinks that they had, uh, mainly because Giannis has upped his intensity level and aggression level, and that opens up so much for them. And the Celtics are doing what the Celtics have done all year, which is be a hot damn mess. Yeah, like Boston has been a jump shooting team the entire year. Yeah. And... Milwaukee is doing a good job of contesting those jump shots. Sometimes long as fuck. Boston just makes contested jump shots like that yes. will happen. Like game one, Boston made a shit ton of contested jump shots. Yep. The last three games, Milwaukee has been there defensively and the math problem has been very significant for mm-hmm. uh, Boston. And even yeah. though Milwaukee shot only 21.6% from three in game four, right? That was the most recent game, game four. Right. It just didn't, it kind of didn't matter because they had Giannis and they continue to get to the foul line and they continue to contest tough shots. Like this is, it's just a, it's a monster, monster series for Milwaukee. And I think that Mike Budenholzer deserves a lot of credit for playing Nikola Miritich in their starting lineup Mm -hmm. 
for continuing to stick with Pat Connaughton after game one, because Connaughton's been uh, awesome since just then. a yeah, he's been a load on the defensive glass. He's been he's such a good rebounder. He's really good rebounder because he's really athletic. Um, and he's been like the perfect role player offensively that uh, Boston has to like sort of kind of pay attention to. Uh, right. But like you don't really want to have to deal with that. And right. then, you know, finally, they've really gone to George Hill quite a bit as well which um, is shocking considering that george hill was called out in a passive aggressive way by lebron james for not being up to the moment last year in the nba finals yeah he's up to the moment right now no question, no question. about that um i yeah, also think it's a credit to the way that the bucks have played all year which is they they know the system around Giannis, and basically they're daring the celtics to double team Giannis, and then they will knock down threes in your face because they move the ball well and they will find the open man on the perimeter like it's not that like, complicated. Put it, put it this way. Chris Middleton shot four of 19. The team shot eight yeah. of 37 from the field. Eric Bledsoe only had 13 and three. Um, he's been awesome on defense, though. He's been really good. Like, Eric Bledsoe has been good after game one. No question. Yeah. Um, Brooke but, Lopez yeah, he, only scored seven points, and Nikola Mirotic went one for five from three in this game, and right. they still won by 12 points. Because they're getting 100%, they're getting 95% shots at the rim more or less whenever they want. It's just a question on if Giannis wants to finish at the rim or if he wants to pass it out to somebody for three. And he's really good. I don't know if it's a conscious decision or not most of the time, but he's really good about picking the right option at the right time. And it's really not more complicated than he's by far and away the best player on the floor. And Kyrie is awesome, but he has not been very good in this series. And that's a credit to the Bucks' length, their yep. defensive intensity, and the fact that he doesn't seem to trust most of his teammates to get the job done. Yeah, no, I because he's shooting too much. He's not. He, the ball needs to be in Kyrie's hands, but they need to run a lot more action for penetration and kicking. Because when they can get the, they need to get the Bucks out of position. It's too late now, but like they need to get the Bucks out of position. And the only way to do that is to move the ball six, seven times, which is extremely hard to do in the NBA playoffs. It's extremely hard to do against a switching defense, and it's really hard to do against a team as long as the Bucks. They are preposterously long. I know that I say that almost any time we talk about them, but it is jarring how long they are. And so you're asking to really do some dangerous stuff. Um, but if, if it's going to come down to an isolation game between Giannis and Kyrie, I'm picking Giannis every single time. And that's ridiculous because Kyrie's really good. But there's not, there is not a connection. There is not a, an understanding between him and his teammates. And there hasn't been all year. And sometimes there would be a flash and we'd say, they figured it out. They got it all together. Man, I, I, I cover a team that has toxicity around it all the time. I mean, every day just seems to, to take, another, take another lash at you with the Warriors in terms of everything that's happened all year, even before the Durant-Draymond blow-up. I mean, they are just compartmentalizing and being professional and not talking about it, but they know what's happening. And it's frustrating, and they've, it went from frustrating to resignation and all this stuff, and it just sits there, and no one talks about it. And it's just, ugh, it's black mold. The Celtics have so much of the same stuff, except Kyrie continues to talk about it. <laughs> So. See, but like, here's my thing with the Celtics. I don't know that, like, I do think that there is something to the idea of like Kyrie kind of creating a situation that isn't great. The Anthony Davis trade rumors potentially right. creating a not great situation for some of the younger guys. Right. Like, I, I do think that there's something to that. I also think that at the end of the day, what this comes down to is 
Kyrie Irving is like a top 15, top 10 player in the league. Something like that. And Giannis is a top three. Al Horford is a top 25 player in the NBA. True. Top 20 player in the NBA. Top something like that. Yeah. You're not going to get me to stop with the Al Horford. What what level he's at. I, I love Al Horford. Al Horford's great. But if Al Horford and Kyrie are your two best players... Mm-hmm. And then your next two, realistically, are Jason Tatum, who yep. has, look, I don't want to say like he's been a disappointment, but he hasn't taken the next step, right? Well, like this is another, hasn't this taken is, that leap. It's another thing where you're dealing in the playoffs and, you know, it's a bit more physical. Uh, the defenses are a bit more honed in. The rotations are stronger on switching. And Tatum's issue all year has been that he's tried to be Kobe. And there were stretches when he wouldn't be that, and the Celtics really flourished. And yet now we're in the playoffs, which it's basically demanding on every possession to be Kobe. ISO up, you know, shoot over this dude. And he's kind of falling back into those old habits, which are maybe going to work for him in the long run. But at this moment, it's not what the Celtics need, and it's it's not the best use of uh, of his abilities because right. it's so, they're, he's being goaded into a bad style of play. So then their next best player is Jalen Brown. Right. Like, I'm, I'm noticing talk- a name that you haven't mentioned yet. Right. Uh, their third best player in the series has been Marcus Morris. Yeah. Yeah. You're just not going to win many basketball games like how in much the second is- round of the playoffs. Yeah. When Marcus Morris is your third best player. Like, God love Marcus Morris. Like, he's a he's good had, player, he but how much really better is he than this Miritich year. or Ilyasova? You know? like, right. He's- like, he's not better, actually. Like, Nikola Miritich is a better player than Marcus Morris. Um, well, there's a there's a fucking margin for you, like right, like on the mildew. Like Nikola Mirotic is what Milwaukee's fourth or fifth best player. Yes, he'd be Boston's third best player. Um, no question. Chris Middleton would be. I, I'd probably say he'd be Boston's second best player. I love Al Horford, but I really like Chris Middleton. I think um, it's fair. Like Brooke Lopez would be Boston's third. Yeah, fourth yeah. Best I mean, player. like, but that, that's what that's at. what it comes down to. Like to me, it's. This is a more talented team than Boston. But the problem is there was this like pretty woman complex with the Celtics that everyone had all year, which is obviously you come into this season and you have high expectations based on what they did last year. They were one game away from the NBA finals. And so you say, well, now they have Hayward and he's going to be healthy. And yes, it might be a little bit of a struggle, this and that. But you have another year, Jalen Brown, who, who looks like. He was coming together in a positive way. You had Jason Tatum do a star turn in the playoffs, and you just presume that that shit's going to continue, and then you don't see the negative side of it. You see Kyrie in a contract year. There were so many reasons to believe this would work, and they gave you enough flashes to think, even when they were really struggling, that, okay, it can come together. And I would even say in the first round, it felt like things started to click for them. And people just wanted them, and and fairly, I, I think I was in the same camp, People wanted to overlook the flaws of this team so much because of its ceiling without addressing the fact that its floor is much lower than I think anyone gave it credit for. And um, it, it just showed up. People are not giving the Bucks enough credit. They have not given the Bucks enough credit all damn year. This is a team that is doing things. And historic is strong, but this is an, a hyper elite team. Now, the only team that you could argue in the regular season that was hyper elite and there were, of course, questions going into the playoffs if their lack of experience was going to be an issue. But I don't put that much. I think that they've risen to the occasion. I think that, you know, scrutiny brings out the best or the worst in people. And um, it's bringing out the best in the Bucks. 
and it's absolutely bringing out the worst in the Celtics. And, and I'm a little bit surprised by the first one. I'm not surprised at all by the second one. And yeah. I just don't know how people constantly overlook that. Dieter, is there anything else we need to talk about? We've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes. I've been watching this Tottenham game. What's going on in that? I'm getting a bunch of texts right now. <laughs> uh, continually wacky soccer games continue to be a thing. So Ajax scored twice. I'm a big uh, Ajax guy, by the way. So this could be either the best or the worst news I'm about to get. Because like Ajax, like I watch a lot of Ajax. Uh, went to the Netherlands say that three times fast Jesus Christ the Netherlands uh, last year went to the stadium and all this stuff uh, I'm currently wearing Ajax shorts uh, so I clearly hear so much that I did a podcast during this entire thing and I don't know what the score is but Sam uh, please break my heart right now please um, and Tottenham has just scored twice in four minutes God bless America <laughs> um, so Ajax is up 3-2 on aggregate yes well Hold on to your tits. This is going to be fun. Do we uh, do we have any strong, uh, just generally strong takes on <laughs> I mean, Game clearly, of Thrones? Clearly I do. Oh, yeah. You know, you know what? Thing? Can we talk about Game of Thrones? We can talk about Thrones. Okay. Game of Thrones is uh, loose. <laughs> uh, the coffee cup was like the perfect metaphor uh, for how ridiculous. The last two seasons have just been like weird fan fiction. And yeah, it's very, I'm at the point where I wonder, like, when can we start con- like not considering this canon? Oh, this is not. I mean, listen, I, I don't give a shit about the canon because I don't care about Game of Thrones. I only watched it because everyone was watching it and I wanted to be part of the conversations because I'm an insecure person. But like watched it, you know, over the course of like a couple of weeks when I moved into my old apartment and like I wasn't watching it that much. And then I would go and ask, like, we do like a watch party thing every sunday if i'm around uh, go down and we'll get a projector and stuff in the south bay and it's it's really cool uh and i just kind of mystery science theater the whole time and i'm sure people love it uh but like i kind of got in to the zeitgeist right as the show started being like ridiculously loose and they're just ramming through so many storylines that they slow burned for years i mean yeah. it's like a decade and now they're just like trying to wrap it all up and it's just it's embarrassing. And it's embarrassing. I think that people are like, it was a cool, it was a cool episode. Like the battle of Winterfell, like that was cool, but like it's embarrassing for episode one and episode three. I think we're at three, right? Or are we at four? Uh, the last one was four. Okay. So everything other than the battle of Winterfell this season has basically just been laughable and so ham fisted. And for people to be like, glowing over it on the internet the last night guys television show which is what i i believe game of thrones to be uh is just kind of embarrassing like this this last episode was really bad i didn't think the uh the long night the battle of winterfell episode or that was the long night was it yeah i think it was yeah whichever whichever one had you know the hour-long fight scene right i actually did not think that was particularly great uh, no, it wasn't I thought it had a great moment at the end, yeah. but like I, I didn't think the episode itself was particularly. Why was she? Great. Why was she ten feet in the air? Like what? What the fuck was that about? Uh, she had a trampoline. I guess. Like, th- there's just a little stuff like this. Like, listen, we can get into the minutia of like, hey, the Night King has a whole army full of people that are standing around. It's, if you haven't just seen directly it. in the Godswood, yeah, like spoiler yeah, like, alert. I guess everyone's just standing there. 
Like, are they are they commanded to not move? Because they certainly had no problem killing anything that lived beforehand. And then the Night King's like, hold on, everyone wait here, and whatever you do, don't do anything, because I gots to get mine. And, like, just let everybody operate around him? Like, no one could come up and stab him? He thought he killed everybody? Like, come on. Like, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. And then no, she's I'm... jumping 10 feet in the air. Like, it was a cool moment, and I'm sure that it was a big payoff for people who give a shit, but I'm watching it, and I'm like, this is corny. See, I actually liked the last little bit of it, but I found the rest of it to be a bit monotonous. And then I struggled as many people did with the television uh, aspect of it. Luckily, I had heard enough about it that I had dropped that motherfucker onto like 1% or total brightness and like no contrast. Yeah. So like I I struggled with it. Uh, Yeah. To me, if you're filming an episode of television, you should probably account for that. Uh, for me, it, it wasn't the brightness. It was the aspect ratio was off. Like it was. What do you mean by pix- that? I didn't the notice that. The it was very pixelated. Well, uh, that was it was screen. only ex- it was only exacerbated by the uh, you know the black the you know people don't have good dark right. black. So like and the way it, the way it was beyond, shot, I guess. Can only imagine how it looked when it was bright. The way it was shot, I guess, that HBO like compresses all of its files um, that makes sense, right? for like HBO Go, and like that didn't end up going well. Apparently, I'm stunned. So, like, that's something you have to account for. Like, you have to have a producer on the set that's like, "Hey, um, is this going to look good on TV?" Basically, for our viewers, and that was something that they fucked up. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just a it's just a steady stream. Yeah, it's a steady like stream it's, of fuck ups. It's just at the point where, yeah, like you said, it's a continuous stream of being just kind of sloppy and loose. And it feels like it feels like it got canceled after season six. This is season eight, right? Yeah. Feels like it got canceled after season six and like had to move to a new network where they kind of do things differently. Yeah. Like Like it feels like it got delegated to Cinemax after season six. Yeah, it does. It's just not very good now. It isn't like. And honestly, like, I hope that people remember this because I've never been like a big Game of Thrones guy. Again, like I, the, the, the genesis of how I've gotten to this point is pretty clear. Like, I don't hold it in any esteem. I never experienced the week by week for eight years. Um, I'm not emotionally invested in this show at all. At this point, I'm only watching because there's two episodes left and fuck, I might as well finish it so I can clown it. But um, Kurtenbach is caught, pot committed, folks. Yeah. Yeah, Lord knows I I, uh, I know how to dig myself a hole. So, like, what the fuck is this though? Like this, I hope that these final episodes are the legacy of this show. As oh, I who's... don't. But it I... won't be. It won't be because of the emotional journey that everyone experienced together. Yeah, no. The the last few episodes will not be the legacy of the show for me. Isn't um, that shitty though? It's shitty. Like it just sucks that it's not that it's just like sloppily and poorly written. Um, so poorly written but you know what it reminded me of of it reminded me a lot of vice which we've had the conversation where i thought it was just horrific the movie and um it's kind of like adam mckay adam mckay when he has source material does a really good job and i thought you know when you have the source material the first six seasons it was really good and then they ran out of source material and they just didn't know they never and they had to up. compress it as well into thirteen totally. episodes. By the way, they had to compress it for reasons that were their own decision. Like they were they spending so much goddamn money to do thirteen. So, like, stupid, just stupid. Yeah, it's not very good. Dieter, tell the people where they can find your work. Well, apparently retweeted everywhere. Um, 
at dkurtenbach on twitter i'm at the uh, san jose mercury news and the east bay times we have a subscription deal you should look into it uh yeah go. i'm gonna be covering playoff hockey here pretty soon so you know get in on that go go read Dieter's work uh also <laughs> i'm sad uh, about game of thrones now it's so bad and i don't even care why am i sad i'm bummed like i really do love game can we, of thrones can we, can we say this though like vice has is just killing it on the way out or i'm sorry uh veep is killing it on the way out. i haven't watched veep yet i need to catch oh, up sir that's sir. something i like watching all at once so i just it's like, a palate it it's a palate cleanser if there ever was one I haven't caught up on Barry, but Barry's also been really good, and but it's almost like too emotionally dark for me right now. <laughs> oh my god! How about you never tell that story to anyone again? It's <laughs> like, oh my god, it was so much. Oh man, Dieter, what was I... the Onion headline? The onion headline, like the final episode of Game of Thrones to bring untimely death to millions of HBO subscriptions. Yeah, that's basically accurate. <laughs> I don't think that that's inaccurate at all. Sam, tell so, tell the people about how they can subscribe to this elite content. Oh man, I was gonna I was gonna tell you I was gonna tell people to subscribe to the uh, Houston Rockets play by play guy to he's, read Dieter's. Is work. he still going? I don't know. I don't know where he's. Like, I don't know what the hell is. Twitter I'm just handle is. I'm very much looking forward to going to the game and ignoring all of this nonsense. Like this is the other beautiful part about like the insular world of NBA media. Like this nonsense is going to be like a big deal for other people. And like, I'm just thinking about how to get a sandwich and like, this is not like, a, I'm not affected thing. Like it's like generally like, okay, you boys have fun. It's just such a, this is not the real world. People do not care about this shit at all. And yet here we are all pretending like we matter. Yeah, go to go to CA underscore rockets to read Dieter's work. Um, also, like if I could if I could piss off one fan base, like I'm already uh, persona non grata in Cleveland, which not an issue for me since I never go to Cleveland anyway. Uh, and Australia, uh, which is actually going to be a problem for me. Don't I presume, you dare! Sometime. Don't you dare! Say I went in on Jared Hain. No, I went in on Jared Hain, and uh, they didn't they didn't have it. They didn't have any of it. Uh, Thought that they sh- the f- long story totally ridiculous. It got it got out of hand really quickly, uh, and I'm certainly not. Uh, I wasn't to blame at the beginning, and then afterwards it got it got dark. But uh, if I could, I'm, I'm very much uh, thrilled to be uh, unliked in the metropolis or the me- metropolis of, of of Houston, Texas. That's fine by me. Like, it doesn't matter. Now, listen, if if the people of L.A. turn on me, I'm fucked. Yeah, yeah. You need to be able to get down here for the wedding. That'd be bad. Exactly. Exactly. Um, also, you were saying like you got a lot of shit going on. I'm doing a wedding and have to cover four teams too, sir. Like, cut me some slack. Hey, I, I, I absolutely know that you have a lot to do in your life. Scott, Scotland, 2020, baby. Let's do this. Yeah. No. Let's. I think, set, no. I think we're setting a date. This has been Sam and Dieter's wedding planning. Uh, yeah. Really, this is this is a podcast WPP. that we should do. We just booked a caterer today. I am super excited. Are like, you excited about the price? Like, how much? We don't really have much of a choice. Um, they are just going to bring us Greg. No idea. Uh, well, that's this is kind of the beauty of of doing a wedding in Scotland, in the sense of um, everything is decided th- for you. Pretty much, like we have no agency whatsoever. So, yeah. hope this works out, and then we just have very low expectations going in, and hopefully, it's better. So, it's all going to be fine. Yeah. See, Laura and I had a lot of agency, or like continue to have a lot of yeah, agency. Yeah, you're, you're getting married like a couple blocks from your house. Like you're yeah. very much in control. I've just it's, seeded all of it, and it's really a beautiful way to live. 
it's kind of awesome. Um, but yeah, we decided on a caterer. We went to a tasting yesterday at this woman's house Big ups. and it was spectacular. Yeah. Um, we do miss out on that beautiful moment of, uh, eating, eating a bunch of cakes, but yeah. um, we did a cake tasting after the cake tasting. I'll be honest. Like, I think that I, I've said this on the podcast before. I'm actually going to start make a cake, uh, to test this theory. Like right after we get done recording, okay. I think I can make my wedding cake. Interesting. So I'm I think taking, that, I think that's a lovely, that's a lovely uh, concept too. Right. So yeah, I'm taking a shot on figuring out how to do tiered cakes today. Um, I'm going to yeah. do a strawberry chiffon and a just like regular sponge with like a raspberry of some sort in there. Right. And just kind of roll from there. And we're going to see where this I goes. don't know why we're paying anybody to, to do this cake. Like this sounds like your domain. Make it yeah, happen. We'll, we'll also, see. no one's going to tell you the cake sucks if they know you baked it. So I've never done a tiered cake. So I'm going to try it and see how it goes. Basically. How many how many months you got to figure this crap out? Like four. I think you can pull it off. I do too, but like I also have to cover the draft and like do this. Yeah, but you can do that while something's in the oven, right? Yeah, that's true. I have to finish writing uh, the top 100 board, which is going to be coming tomorrow. Go read about the Cleveland Cavaliers. I did a full breakdown of everyone that they have uh, on their roster and all of their assets. <laughs> oh, uh, their brand, brand. When is the draft lottery, Sam? Uh, it's Tuesday in Chicago. Tuesday. I will not be going to the lottery because be the lottery. Also, they're doing it in Chicago this year. I thought they would always do it in Secaucus. It's because they have the whole week uh, set out in Chicago this year with the G League Elite Combine as well as the NBA Combine. So it's always the week of yeah. So it's always the week of the NBA Combine. But because they're doing the G League Elite Combine, all of the executives are going to be there, and they have to do it like in a place where the NBA world is essentially going to be centered. Well, it's it's going to be really enjoyable when the Knicks get the first overall pick, and they're not in New York to to celebrate it. They have this to get podcast, as far away from the conspiracy as possible. This podcast got super rambly uh, and way off topic within like five minutes. So I'm proud of there's, us. There's 0% chance that we were ever going to keep it on topic and that I was not going to ramble. Like you knew well, yeah, what you were getting into. We haven't podcasted for like a month, it feels like. We haven't. If it doesn't feel like we've talked for weeks. I don't know where you are. I need my friend. No. Yeah, uh, I know. I'm sorry. That's, uh, that's on me. I've been busy, man. Like yesterday. Yeah. Don't even, yeah, don't yeah. even start. Fucking travel. Four hours travel is murder. Yeah, you were on a flight yesterday, so that's... Uh, At like 7 a.m., we were texting, off, uh, I was on the, the Wi-Fi. Meanwhile, like the entire plane is filled with media members, and all of them are sleeping, and I'm trying to punch out a column, which, you know, Lord knows that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to end this one. Uh, folks, that makes sense. please rate, review, and subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast, uh, wherever you get don't hold, suboptimal. Don't hold, don't hold me against it. Don't hold yep. me against it. Wherever you get suboptimal podcasting content, I'm sure we're there. Um, yeah, just tune in next time. We're going to have a more of an NBA draft centered one later in this week where I talk more about like combine invites and stuff. Those just went out. I've been like kind of texting people around about uh, combine invites like while we've been recording. So yep. this explains the, the high quality of the, the show. I've been getting into it with uh, random angry people and you've been sending out combine invites. So I'm very proud of you. Good shit. All right, folks. Uh, we'll be back later this week, but until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. All right. I got to uh, post this, yeah. basically. Just go. Just get I have to here. actually start like doing work on this cake, because I'm supposed to go out with uh, Corey Alford tonight, too, because Corey's okay. like, in town in LA for the last time in like, a few yeah, weeks. Yeah, he's your dude. Yeah. So, cool. Um, all right. I will talk to all you right. soon. If, if we don't talk again, if I do get stabbed by the media members, it's been a pleasure. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Hopefully. Later. Yeah, we'll find out.